0: Open your Bibles to Matthew 6, verse 5, starting at verse 5, and please stand as we read the Word of God. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. And please join me in praying this out loud. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So today, this is going to be a recap. Go ahead and sit down. I'm sorry. We're gonna do a recap. This video here I wanna show, it's about 25 minutes. It's by Sinclair Ferguson. And uh, I found it, I get this Renewing Your Mind from Ligonier Ministries every day, and this was one of the things they sent back in March. And at the time I thought, you know, geez, I wish we'd have had this for the first uh, class. But the more I, I thought about it this week and kind of put up a short uh, commentary afterwards, I thought, no, this is perfect for, the, for a recap. This is, this is a good way to end it. So, if we can, uh, start the video now.
1: We're talking at this stage in our studies about what we sometimes refer to as the means of grace, and we've already seen that we shouldn't think of the means of grace as instruments we use in order to get grace, but privileges God has given to us in His grace so that we may know Him better and indeed serve Him well. We thought in the last study about the Bible, and now we're coming to the subject of prayer. Remember many years ago, I think it must be 40 years ago now, the privilege of being visited by the senior editor of a major Christian publishing company. And uh, in the course of the conversation, he said to me, we would like you to write a book on prayer. I thought to myself, I would like me to write a book on prayer, <laughs> but I don't think I'm the man. And so, I said to him, you know, I think there must be other people who would do it better than I would. He said, well, would you like to suggest somebody? I suggested a rather well-known name. He gave a little smile. He said, we asked him, and he declined as well. Do you have another suggestion you might make? I made a second suggestion of someone else who is very well-known. He gave the same little smile and said, we've, we've asked him. And he declined. He said he didn't really think that he was ready to write a book on prayer. And so it, was a, it went on and on. And uh, I never did see him publishing a book on prayer. And the experience was in a sense an encouragement to me because many Christian people tell me that they find prayer difficult. But sometimes they erroneously assume that because somebody seems to be an older Christian and a wiser Christian, they therefore find prayer easy. Now, of course, there are seasons in life when prayer is easier than at other times. But we need to understand that when we find prayer difficult, first of all, we are not on our own. And we're not on our own in this sense that Paul says, for example, in Romans chapter 8, there are times when we neither know how to pray nor what to pray for. Now, this is not your pastor. This is not your favorite Christian. This is the Apostle Paul. There are times when we have cries in our hearts that words cannot express. And we simply do not know how to pray. So, we should not despair if we feel, I am finding it difficult to pray. Paul goes on to say, you need to know that in those seasons, the Spirit Himself makes intercession for the saints with groans that words cannot express. And he's giving us this wonderful picture of what it means to know God and to be in fellowship with Him as our Heavenly Father, that He looks upon us in our weakness, and He doesn't, as some super spiritual Christians sometimes do, despise us because we feel that we are not able to pray well, rather He sends His Holy Spirit to catch us up in this mysterious way into His purposes, and He says, "'My child, even although you cannot articulate to me what is in your heart, I am drawing you to myself by my Holy Spirit because I want you to participate in the work that I am doing in the needs of the world and the needs of the church. So first of all, we should not be discouraged because the Spirit will come to our help. There's another reason not to be discouraged. And that is because the apostles apparently found it difficult to pray, or at least when they listened to Jesus pray, they must have felt they did not know very much about prayer at all. And so they came to Jesus. You remember at the beginning of Luke's gospel, chapter 11, Jesus was praying in a certain place and when He finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray as John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. And you can see what's happening. It may have happened to you. Uh, You thought that you were making some progress in prayer, and then you heard a seasoned, mature, perhaps a Christian who had suffered a great deal coming to the Lord in prayer, and you said to yourself, I know almost nothing about what it means to pray. I think it was like that with the disciples. And Jesus does something wonderful. Instead of saying to them, how long have you been listening to me pray and you still don't know how to pray? Sometimes preachers can be like that when they speak about prayer, can't they? You're not doing well enough. No, Jesus apparently sits down with them and He says, when you pray, pray like this. And he teaches them what we call the Lord's Prayer in Luke's version. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we forgive others who are indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And as we've already seen, it's a very interesting A feature of this prayer that it looks as though Jesus expected His disciples to pray this prayer every day. Now, I know there are super spiritual Christians who are way beyond the Lord's prayer, but it's usually because they haven't noticed that they need to pray each day for their daily bread. As a matter of fact, they are way beyond praying each day for their daily bread because they're quite capable of providing it for themselves. So, there's something humbling about this prayer and there's something true about this prayer. And the reason that's so is because this is not only a model structure for our praying, but it's a model structure for the way we live. And it really underlines for us that praying is not an isolated spiritual exercise. We pray and we live in two different compartments. The truth of the matter is, We live as we pray, and we pray as we live. And so, the Lord's Prayer is not only a basic manual of instruction about how to pray. It's a basic manual of instruction about how to live for God's glory in order that we may learn what it means to pray, and we should never lose sight of these two realities. So what I want us to do is just to think about this Lord's Prayer to refresh ourselves. Remember what I said at the beginning about Jack Nicholas, the golfer, I'm sorry for those of you who are not golfers to bring in this golfing illustration again, going to his coach while he himself is the greatest golfer in the world, and saying, Mr. Grout, teach me how to play golf. And we really do need to keep on returning to the Lord's Prayer so that we too may learn to say to Jesus the great prayer, the one who ever lives to make intercession for his people. Oh Jesus, teach me all over again the fundamentals of prayer so that I may not only examine my own prayer life, but so that the things I'm praying for really conform to your design And so that I can build on the foundation that You have laid. Now, there are many ways to think about this. I want us to think about it in three different ways. First of all, the way in which the Lord's Prayer encourages us to have a right attitude in prayer. Now, of course, the Lord's Prayer is given to us in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, and also in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, it's in a a very interesting context. It's within the context of knowing God as your heavenly Father. And Jesus says, when you come to know God as your heavenly Father, two things begin to happen. One is you begin to be delivered from hypocrisy. That is, pretending to be something you're not. How does that happen? Because you know that your heavenly Father knows everything about you. He knows the worst about you. And if you can come to Him, then you have no need to pretend to anyone else that you're something different or better than what you really are. And the other reality that it delivers us from is anxiety. If you know your heavenly Father, then you know, says Jesus, that He will take care of you. And for that reason, when we come to God in prayer, simplicity is of the essence. We don't need to use big, complex words. There are no big, complex words in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus brings us down to the absolute essentials in which we're saying, Heavenly Father, I want Your glory to be seen and I need your help. And that's what Jesus goes on to teach. There is an attitude that we have in prayer, and there is an approach that we develop in prayer. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be Your name, or as we more customarily have it in Matthew's version, Our Father, which art in heaven what are we doing there? We're recognizing the two realities about the nature of God. First of all, that He is a dear Father. And secondly, that He is in heaven. And because He is our heavenly Father, it is of the essence that we honor His majestic name. To put it this way, if we, if we do not seek to sanctify the name of God, it's really an indication that we we don't really know who God is. I hope we have come through the period in evangelical history in the last 20 years or so, when the sign it seemed to be to some people that you really knew God is that you would express yourself to Him in all kinds of chummy ways which was a real indication you didn't know who God was at all. It it had never really crossed your mind how great and glorious He was. Even even at the human level, it never dawned on you that you are talking to the Creator of this amazing universe, and you are reducing Him to your own level. So while there is an intimacy, there is never a false intimacy. It's always, Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. And it's interesting the way Jesus encourages us, especially, I think, in Matthew's version. When you pray, say, Our Father. Um, That means that we, we pray together. But you know what's really interesting? It's Jesus who teaches us to pray, Our Father. You understand what that means? That means that when you come to know God in Jesus Christ, your Father is His Father. Everything that you see about the relationship which Jesus had with His Father is the relationship into which He is inviting you. It's not that He is one Father to the incarnate Lord Jesus and a different Father to you. He's one and the same Father. And so Jesus teaches His disciples, when you pray, say, Our Father. I wonder if you've ever noticed this, that when Jesus prays, with one exception, He always calls God Father. You know what the exception is, don't you? It's His prayer on Calvary. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When He apparently had no consciousness of His Father's love for Him but only a consciousness of being forsaken in His humanity by His heavenly Father. And yet there's a connection between these two, isn't there? It's only because He sensed Himself to be forsaken, because He took our place, that it's possible for Him to say, I have done everything that is needed for you now with Me to come and say, to the God of the whole universe, when I come to you, I call you, as Jesus called you, our Father who is in heaven. So there's intimacy in prayer, and that intimacy in prayer is a tremendous encouragement to pray because He is our Father, because as our Father, He's promised to provide for us, And it's because He has promised to do these things that we're able to come to Him with confidence and ask for these things. Those of you who have had children, especially when they're young, if they've had any wisdom, they've known how to deal with you if you're a father. They say, Dad, we want this. And you say, no, you're not getting that. And they say, but Dad, we need this. And we say, well, I need does not mean you get. But then if they say to you, but dad you promised, dad you promised, then you have placed yourself under obligation to give them whatever it is they ask because you promised to do so. And this is the wonder of prayer, that the heavenly Father has placed Himself in His Word under obligation to give us certain things to provide for us certain blessings. And so amazingly and daringly and humbly we're able to come to Him and say to Him, Father, You promised. You sometimes see that in the prayers of the Old Testament saints, don't you? They are not praying out of their own imagination. Let me think up what would be good for God's kingdom. They are coming to God, sometimes in dire circumstances, and saying, we cannot understand these circumstances, we cannot explain them. But our God, You made these promises, and so we come to You on the basis of these promises, and we ask that You will keep them. That's actually the prayer of faith that James speaks about that uh, sometimes I think people misunderstand. Now, you remember how he says that the effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much, and he uses Elijah as an illustration. Elijah prayed and the heavens were closed, there was no rain. Elijah prayed again and the rain came. And people say, that's the kind of prayer we need. We need the prayer of faith. Well, what is the prayer of faith? The prayer of faith was just Elijah coming to the heavenly Father and saying, Heavenly Father, it's in Your Word, it's in Your promises that if we rebelled like this, the heavens would be closed. They would be as, as, as grass and glass. The heavens would be closed and they would be as brass. The earth would become a famine. Now, great God, great covenant-keeping God, I'm coming to You. And I'm saying to you, God, you promised it would be so, so may it be so." And it's in this that he was confident, not because he had unusual measures of faith that enabled him to imagine great things that God could do, but because he had faith that took hold of the promise of God, was able to come to God and say to Him, You are our Father, and you promised, and then the faith to believe that if He had promised and if Elijah asked, then it must be so. What does that teach us? Well, among other things, it teaches us we need to get to grips with the promises of God, and that's actually what the Lord's Prayer does. There is nothing in the Lord's Prayer that does not focus on what God has promised to be and to do. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Um, How can we pray that with confidence? Well, because look at what's happening in the church. There are marvelous things happening in the church. Well, what do you say when there aren't marvelous things happening in the church? No, you pray your kingdom come because God has promised to bring in His kingdom. Your will be done because God has promised that His will will indeed be done. And so we need to understand not only this attitude that we have in prayer and this general approach that we have in prayer. Uh, The great fathers of the church, down through the Reformation fathers, understood this, that prayer needs to be directed by the Word, and therefore prayer will be fed by the Word. Uh, Sometimes people say, well, I I just ask for anything I want, and I, I know that He will hear. But God is not your servant. What we need to learn to pray for is what God has promised to do. That's not always what you hear in gatherings for prayer, is it? So often we're focused on what we think is important. And it's not so often that you hear people today coming and saying, and Lord, we come to you about this because this is what you have promised to do. And therefore we look to you to keep your promise. Father, we're like little children coming to their daddies and saying, but Dad, you promised and we're going to hold on to you until you fulfill your promise. But Then I want you to notice some of the things that we need to ask for in prayer. And there are several of them, obviously. The first is our need for daily provision. Give us this day our daily bread. If you say the Lord's Prayer in your church, you say that every Sunday, and uh, I wonder how much of it registers. I mean, after all, why are you praying for what's lying there in your refrigerator or in the freezer or in the grocery store? Why should that be the case? And the answer is not that the people in Jesus' time were incapable of making And having bread, it was that Jesus understood the bread you eat will do nothing unless God sanctifies it to your nourishment. Um, And that's broadly applicable, isn't it? This is a prayer for the blessing of God upon the necessities of our life that will nourish us in such a way that we'll be able to live for His glory. You could apply that, for example, to every spoonful of medicine you take. It will not help you unless God in His sovereignty sanctifies it to you. And you know that. And so we need to learn this daily dependence on God. And then there's our need for pardon as we pray that God will forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And you see the logic of what, I mean, have you ever thought about what you're actually asking for there? You have the boldness to say to God, God, find somebody else who will pay my debt because it must be paid. You're really praying what David prayed in Psalm 51, oh God, there is no sacrifice for this sin of mine, find another sacrifice. In essence, what you're saying to God is, oh God, send your son to die on the cross so that I don't have to die forever in eternal hell. So this is an amazing prayer. And you see, when we grasp it, we understand why it is that we also pray as we forgive those who have sinned against us. When we realize what He has done to bring us forgiveness, and how can we possibly withhold forgiveness from others? And then, of course, lead me not into temptation. Don't bring mm. me to a test that I'm not able to bear because I'm so conscious of my weakness, and I know that you mm. will deliver me from evil. I read a book when I was a very young Christian by a, a Norwegian uh, physician, I think he was, named O. Hallisby, and he begins it by saying, prayer is weakness. Prayer is weakness. My dear friends, that's the church's greatest problem in the West. We don't realize how weak we really are, and therefore we pray so little. And that's my problem as a Christian. I think I can do it, and that makes me prayerless. And it's only when I realize how dependent I am on Him that I'll learn to pray. So, we want to say, Lord, Teach me how to pray.
0: Well, I hope we've established a context for prayer in these last eight classes, Prayers of Paul, you know, we've seen certain common themes in Paul's prayer that, that we can look to as models for our own prayers. Let me let me just run down a quick list of to note some of these themes. You know, Paul, he always thanks Christ for the redeeming love that he worked out on Calvary's Cross. He always gives thanks for faith, for love for promises, for obligations, for comfort, for revelation, for joy, for wisdom, for the knowledge of God, of what's excellent, of hope, of the immeasurable power we have in Christ, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and that we be worthy of his calling, the truth of the gospel given to us, and of God's purposes being fulfilled. These are just some of the, the prayers of Paul. There's so much more. You know, and as I contemplated this final class on prayer, I began to think on Jesus and how often I've, I've read about how he went away by himself into the mountains to pray. You know, I, I remember there's one where he got up early. He was living in uh, Capernaum, and he went up in the, in the hills to pray by himself. That's it. There's no other biblical comments about what he actually said to his father. And really, until we get to John 17, what, you know, I was thinking, what did he pray about? How did he make himself vulnerable? How did he share with the father what it was to be the son of man? What connection between them was accomplished with his prayers? You know, even the disciples, as as we just learned here, they needed a template from him on how to pray And the prayer they received was meant as much for us as for them. You know, we wrestle with its themes and what they imply beyond just the words. You know, the the closest we come to to learning how vulnerable he was to the Father is just before his death, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he asked if there was any other way, and yet submitted to the Father's will, becoming the venue for our salvation. And that said, I also have to wonder... I was thinking about this have I intellectualized these classes too much you know because <laughs> the result being that my mouth can't always keep up with where my mind's at you know I've been I've been reading a, the book of judges at the moment and a, another book on ho- the holiness of god you know the first has a lot to do with leadership you know if you think about moses or gideon or david all chosen by god for a purpose just as we're called according to his purpose. And the latter makes me feel like Isaiah in chapter six or Peter in the latter book, I mean on holiness, makes me feel like Isaiah in chapter six or Peter in Luke uh, Luke five. Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And Peter said, go away from me, Lord, I'm, I'm a sinful man. Now, I've asked myself, well, what, what am I doing up here representing so much uncontainable glory? You know, I mentioned in the first class, I mentioned Dave Kunsky praying for me on his deathbed and wondering, who does that? You know, Paul in prison, he prayed for the churches God had given him to establish and lead. Christ prayed for us from the cross. And then... We found two examples of Christ praying for us even as he departed this earth in Luke 24. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And in Revelation 8, when the Lamb, Jesus, had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about an hour, about a half hour. And then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them and another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Wonderful. So question. Is we start, I started off the first class I asked this question. Is there still prayerlessness in our life? Because, you know, it's a warning light. It, it indicates our, our, our ignorance of God. Are you seeking excellence? Are you seeking insight? Are you living with a view of the day of Christ? Have you examined your heart humbly and with gratitude for God's tender mercies? You know, our prayers do reveal what we believe about God. Have you considered some of the challenges to prayer? Have you reckoned with them by, by taking them to the Lord? Too busy? too dry spiritually, too bitter, too ashamed, too content. You know, prayer, I mentioned this in the first class also, it's the language of faith, and that faith has an object, and that object is Jesus. As Sinclair Ferguson mentioned, prayer is a means of grace to know God better. So, you know, it's an act of seeking God. Why? Why wouldn't you want to grow in the knowledge of God? It won't get worse to know God more. It only gets better. The prayer results in the Holy Spirit's ongoing work of sanctification in our lives. If you know anything of the love of the Spirit, it's the Spirit working in you. How can you not pray? Praying reflects your grasp of who Christ is and his love for you. Let us grasp this promise always when we don't know what to pray. And In Romans 8, verses 26 and 27, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that For those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So, let's remember this. God's divine love is as great as his divine sovereignty. His purposes are our promises from him. As Ferguson just pointed out, they become obligations. And finally, Remember, uh, we are engaged in a supernatural conflict, but we have this promise from him in Romans 5, and it's at the bottom. Did everybody get a card, by the way? There's still some left up at the front counter. And I put this verse from Romans on the bottom. I like the fact that we've obtained access by faith. So what it reads is, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So this is a a short class today. I wanna thank you all for coming the last eight weeks or so. I guess it's more than that, 10 weeks. For the time I I took off, let me end in prayer here. Heavenly Father, we have so much to thank you for. So we do. We thank you for sending your son to die for us, as he mentioned in Psalm 51. I need another sacrifice. I need something else to take the place of my sin. So you sent your son. We just thank you for that and that we can come to you in prayer. And I I pray that we will do that, that we consider these things and we don't have to be ashamed to come to you in prayer. And our prayers don't have to be long and sanctimonious, because you already know. You already know what we need, and you're ready to fulfill your obligations. I think about Hebrews 11, you know, the chapter on faith, and all those people that were mentioned in that chapter, we're living with your promise as we are too. And we thank you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.